This is On the Fence Physio, a podcast designed to, one, stimulate intellectual conversation around the nuances of gray topics in physical therapy, two, keep a group of physical therapists and physical therapy students entertained for 30 to 40 minutes, and three, fail to do either of those things. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, do not look here. Please seek out the opinion of a legitimate licensed medical provider. Enjoy. Welcome to a Fence Post episode with Andy and Matt. This is our hot takes day one of CSM 2022 San Antonio. While our takes are hot, the weather is cold outside. Uh, our waitress today was sprinkling Morton's coarse sea salt on the stairs because, as she said, salt is supposed to help keep water from freezing. I do think these uh, Texans need a little bit of help when it comes to dealing with cold weather. Uh, Matt and I went for a jog in shorts today, but uh, most uh, Texas schools were closed due to uh, the cold 33 degrees Fahrenheit. For our uh, European listeners, that's that's not that cold. It's not <laughs> that cold, but it's cold enough that it's uh, slowed down things a little bit around here, but the weather's looking better over the next few days. Um, how about the content today, Andy? Oh, it hasn't slowed down the red-hot content being dropped at CSM 2022. Uh, San Antonio Part 2. For us, this is our second trip to San Antonio. Uh, little less hair. <laughs> little less <laughs> trip. Little less hair. Yeah, I had my uh, mohawk going oh. at the time. Remember that? I'll oh. say I definitely have more chest hair than I did uh, five years well, ago. Well, we don't have listeners. Don't need to listen to that. Chest hair, that back is hair. A hot take. Um, started uh, started with the uh, opening ceremony. We uh, got to finally get recognized for our. Board certified specialty in orthopedics. We got to listen to uh, Dr. Schwisher give a great presentation about ethics and the uh, necessity for focus on ethics in physical therapy, uh, both practice and in research, because uh, she quoted the lack of ethic based research studies that she had found in the last 20 years of PT literature. Yeah, and I think she Ooh. went through all the last. Macmillan lectures and did a word search and all those things and professionalism and patient care, those types of things were at the top of the list, but ethics weren't talked about too much. And she brought in the syndemic, as she called it, instead of the pandemic. Syndemic meaning what? There's a lot of different parts playing together. Um, I thought just a lot of people living in <laughs> sin. sin during the Well, that was, there was what the, the, e, the evil problems right mm -hmm. but the big thing was looking for the spider so the web without the spiders uh, um, trying to find the, the cause for some of these things and talking a lot about what's gone in, on in healthcare over the last two years with burnout and uh, people leaving the profession not just physical therapy but medical providers in general and what's led to some of the issues that are uh, plaguing the system right now with people um, being understaffed or underpaid, places being understaffed, that type of thing. So I thought it was it was really good. And for me, and this is it was it's just great to see somebody who's been in the profession for a long time 
and just still full of um, that like youthful optimism that you know we can change the system with uh, we still have the power to do that uh, and that's something obviously that she's seen a lot of in her time that you know for the better and worse probably so I feel like sometimes Marty cynical and then I hear her up there I'm like oh man I'm so inspired. Well, I'm glad you felt that way because I, I felt the exact opposite. <laughs> I love the idea of uh, talking about ethics and researching ethics in physical therapy. And um, boy, in an idyllic world, I think that would be something that is just fine and dandy to spend our healthcare dollars on. Um, it would probably lead to better outcomes, I believe, um, if we were able to be more ethical in our practice approach. But uh, we are not really incentivized to be ethical. I don't know the last time in one of my employee performance reviews, ethics was brought up. I uh, oftentimes think about the uh, part of the APATA ethic code that said that we must disclose all financial conflicts of interest to our patients. And if anybody out there listening, I am one of them, is incentivized that if you see a certain number of patients per week, you get more money. Don't you think that's a financial conflict of interest in a bit? You know, like if you are loading up your schedule because you're just hoping to put a couple extra dollars in your paycheck, is that uh, is that is that the optimal thing for patient care? But no, that's what that's what we're incentivized to do. And uh, you know, what's the punishment for doing non-ethical things? You know, Medicare audit. You know, what what manager is going to come down and say, "Hey, we think you're billing too many units. You really need to slow down." <laughs> And that was Dr. Swisher's challenge was to be a change agent in both our medical culture and culture at large. So all you people out there, fight the good fight. And change don't, reimbursement models? No, don't just don't worry about that bonus, right? That extra couple hundred dollars isn't really worth Oh well that's nice, Matt, that you, that you're in a situation you know, where those couple extra dollars is uh, non consequential for your bottom line. I'm in that spot too, but I'm sure there are some people out there who need those couple extra dollars because their student loans are going to be, they're not due yet, but they're going to be coming due soon. You know, we're eventually going to have to start paying student loans again. Some people don't have a, a nice sugar mama like I've got, you know, to pay, pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and what, was, what were some of the terms that she used? Moral dilemma? Oh, I don't want to try Moral to think about all our vocab. Insult. We might as well take an opportunity for vocab with Professor Owens. Well, I was asking you because I can't remember them all either. Um, uh, yeah, moral dilemma, moral injury, and injury. moral resilience. Moral uh, resilience, yeah, so... So moral dilemma is knowing what the right thing is to do, but not being able to do it due to constraints of time, resources, organizational things. This leads to moral injury. Not all the time. Moral injury is from a acute, you know, like conflict between your morals and what you're asked to do. She uh, cited uh, military personnel asked to do something, you know, maybe heinous or a war crime, you know, but being ordered to do it, doing it, knowing it's the wrong thing. Um, so I think we could have a cumulative moral dilemma that leads to some kind of moral injury, but I think that she was using it also in the acute term. So macro trauma versus micro trauma? Sure. Yeah, you got to check out your moral, your moral muscle. Ethics. <laughs> you got to flex your ethical 
muscle. Moral muscle has alliteration muscle? much better. You know the fans love some alliteration. They do. Moral muscle, your moral muscle, ethical muscle. Either way, we were there. Andy walked away more cynical than ever. <laughs> I was inspired to go back to patient care and uh, be a change agent in my facility and company and those types of things. So not cynical. I'm just on the fence about it. Oh my god! <laughs> I had to pick a side. Uh, you don't um, have to pick a side. That's our whole thing. I guess it is, isn't it? <laughs> well. Um, we're off script. We're, yeah. yeah, this is our hot takes. So we can do whatever we want. So that was uh, last it, night. It led right into our great conversation we had. We uh, went to a workshop on uh, positionality and bias in teaching. You know, confronting um, some of those harder socio um, demographic issues that come up in uh, the education side of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And boy, as uh, two privileged white men, we had a grand old time. We did. And I think for us both, I, maybe I can't speak for you, but it's something that we have talked about personally over the last year or two with everything that's going on in the world. Uh, and I think if I was going into that talk for the first time and never having thought about it before, it's one of those things that it can be a, a rude awakening even like when we did our little um, kind of privileged model graph in session as an activity, kind of looking at our um, gender, our gender identity, our sexual preferences, our um, socioeconomic status, religion, mm -hmm. all those types of things, and then look, thinking about where we grew up, where we are now in our job, and then trying to figure out in general if that would have put us at a in a privileged position or a disadvantaged position, right? Yeah, I was marginalized I was, position. I was 30 P's across the board. There was not a single part of my identity, not a single uh, area of my life throughout any point where I have been in a marginalized community. Yeah, that's how I felt as well. It's just all full of P's. Yeah. So I feel like what we really need to do is we need to, we need to clarify that the information that we're going to talk about, that we're going to share about this, is uh, through that scope. We are um, two very privileged cishet white men trying to figure out what, what we can do to not screw things up for everybody else, to not take our privilege for granted, and to try to be agents of change, but also knowing that it's not our game you know, this isn't about us we are not the we are not the lead actors in this we just want to be a support supportive actors i think it's just supportive? you know it's it's a facilitator allies and an ally you're not a, a savior right mm -hmm. um i think it's physical therapy treatment has a lot of good parallels to that you know we're with our patients we're not the person that's going to you know, heal them. I hear that. That's something mm -hmm. that bothers me sometimes. Physical therapists like, oh, how many patients they've healed and what they've done. And it's really, we're just helping to try to facilitate the patient's own body to do what it needs to do, instill the confidence of the patient so they can take care of themselves. Oh, um, I'm just distracting the patient with pleasant things until time heals them. <laughs> 
Well, I don't think time is going to heal racism. <laughs> oh, we figured out, so. hey, that's a good uh, point. I think there's some think some things either. that we need to figure out. I need that's like I need to figure out where is how can I help? How can I support? How can I not um, be in the way of it? Um, but then at the same time, in the the talk, the definite the distinction was made right versus not racist. Not racist is different than anti-racist, and we need to move from a not racist quote-unquote position to an anti-racist position and for me the anti-racist definition is really more about the action of doing things to change situations right where people are marginalized and Mm -hmm. to change systems those types of things versus just staying in a system that is racist right Mm -hmm. it is a a white supremacist system um, and just um, sitting back and letting it happen yeah, we were asked to write a SMART goal for what we would do that was anti-racist. And I was really surprised how hard it was to really come up with a good, solid, SMART goal because to make it specific, to make it measure, like I harp on students all the time. So any students listening, you know that I love to pick on SMART goals. And it was tough to write one, but uh, I think that it'll be good to start thinking about that. And that's something that we can do. And that, that can be a goal within itself. You know, like Andy will write himself 10 specific, measurable, attainable goals with reason and timeline by the end of this conference (laughs) in order to be anti-racist or try to be anti-racist. I guess is probably the more realistic, more attainable. Yeah, um, I thought that was good. I thought the other thing I took away from the discussion because it wasn't really a presentation, you know, like well, it was definitely a workshop. It was a workshop. There was a ton of slides that we didn't get to, which was which was just fine. I think I think in the future, I think you could come to that presentation with only like five slides and a lot of talking, um, which it was good. But the idea that uh, our default, like what is our default, um, right? I I think. A- what the uh, presenter asked initially, she set herself. It was it was very good timing from a presenter standpoint. Um, uh, Doctor Abrazeze, uh, very good timing because she asked the question, "What does white supremacy look like to you?" And she got the audience to respond. And there was a uh, one person who put their hand up and said, "Like, oh, I I picture the you know shaved skinhead with the angry face and the you know like." shouting and like scary things people are saying a lot of scary things and then she immediately pulled the rug out from all those people and was like it's when white is the default you know like that's the understood so she showed a picture of you know like a toy store aisle and like all the character all the dolls and the lego right yeah you have to identify you know black and then there was a person that was sitting in the row in front of us that said like for him it was the fact that, like, when his grandparents tell a story, they, you know, say, like, a black person. But if they, if the person's white, they don't say, like, a white person. They just say a person, you know, like, again, and that's, and that was a, that was a really, like, striking example of white supremacy. Because, you know, the number of times that I feel like I've probably told a story where I've identified somebody that was a different race than me. Um, or just a different race in white and 
use that as an identifier, but then the person who was white was like, oh, I identified them by something else, like, oh, the firefighter, or they're, the, you know, like, the, you know, yeah, and the, the idea, tall one. Yeah, yeah, the idea that if you don't say anything at all, you're assuming somebody's white, white or something yeah. white or it's a white culture type thing, and that's, yeah, that's what I thought about white supremacy is really, it's American culture, um, and then they went through... Well, I'm sure it's not just American. Right. Anglo-Saxon? Anglo, European culture? I don't know. I just I guess it's probably a, wherever there's white people. White people. <laughs> that are the majority of... No, uh, not even the majority. Because South Africa, the white people aren't the majority, but they yeah. still have it. Yeah, no, that's that's a yeah. good point. So I thought that was a, a really thought-provoking session, good discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier in the day, I went to an athletic groin pain lecture. Uh, regarding, I thought you were nuts to get to that one. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, actually, the most commonly injured um, adductor is the adductor longus. I supposedly that's, that's what they said, but um, no, I enjoyed it. They talked, uh, did a demonstration with diagnostic ultrasound, um, showing kind of its utility in the clinic. Ways to rule out more serious pathologies, ways to use the diagnostic ultrasound to help guide return to sport progressions based on how uh, severe so the muscle soft you, tissue would you injury say it, was. Would you say that's oh, sound yeah. decision making? Sound decision making, yes. It's very good. It was very good. Uh, so, and then they went through some exercise protocols with a focus on eccentrics. So there's the Copenhagen protocol. They also uh, kind of ski resort. (laughs) There's probably some good eccentric adductor (laughs) exercise there. Well, that was, so that was one of their favorite closed chain adductor eccentric was a a side lunge on the slide board. Oh, I like, I like to do that one where you put your feet on two chairs and let, and let them out to the side and let the <laughs> chairs slide apart. Like the little karate kid thing? Like the guy who's like, you know, like that guy? Uh, Vin Diesel in Bloodsport? Yeah. Or is that wasn't Vin Diesel. It wasn't Vin Diesel. Jean-Claude oh my Van gosh, Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Thank you. Oh I my. I don't know. If I'm Diesel sure there's a lot of fans of Jean-Claude yet. Van Damme out there. So. <laughs> But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a good general talk. Nothing groundbreaking, but just some neat stuff. It makes me wish I had a diagnostic ultrasound, and I hope the technology keeps improving and the price keeps going down, which it is right now, because um, I think that would it's a really uh, nice objective measure you know, of some of your tissue that. changes. Rock Tape did. I haven't been to their booth yet. We did not make it around the uh, whatever. More tomorrow on yeah. Exhibit Hall. Booths. Exhibit Hall. We are only there about ten minutes. We might have some, try to do some uh, interviews around. Only if they agree to be our financial conflict of interest. Mm. Not marketing any products unless I see some green. <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to say what type of uh, company I'm drinking water out of their bottle. They gave very gave nice it to water us. bottle. It is a nice water bottle, but I'm not. Yeah, I have no conflicts of interest, so I'm not t- talking about it. <laughs> Conflicts of interest. That takes us to our last talk of the day. Oh, yeah. And then you can circle Um, back around to the first one if you want to. No, that's all right. Um, We uh, went and saw the talk about nutrition and its effect on chronic pain. And the uh, first speaker, you know, immediately came out and said that uh, her conflict of interest is that she owned a uh, company that sold, you know, supplements. 
And, you know, she was going to make some recommendations on what kind of supplements you should get and what kind of certifications you should look for on said supplements. And maybe hinted that all the supplements on her website met those certification quality assurance things. Um, maybe uh, also shared all her social media platforms for her company as well. So I don't know if that was the best way to go about it. Well, I mean, we've talked about the, my hot take is I don't care if she has a conflict of interest if the data she reports is sound and she has good evidence. And Wait, those there things. was it data? Was, there wasn't. And so I was, how, it was, I was deeply disappointed was little, in that section of the presentation. Too much, a little too much anecdote, not enough. Science. I mean, not enough science at all. And the science that she talked about was more bench-related at the cellular level, but then she, there was not a good evidence-based, scientific base of a link between what she was talking about at the cellular level and then what she jumped to with turmeric. Yeah, that like alternative hypothesis. You know, like we gotta we gotta think about that. Um, my favorite example of that is um, Dan Quintana's um, from Everything Hurts podcast. His uh, story that he tells about where um, he thought that you know injecting oxytocin in a nasal spray would make people happier since it's a happy hormone. And he did his study. He set it all up. He did placebo. He had a sh you know so he had a, he had a sham. He had a control. And, you know, did his study and found that the people who found a significant difference in the ones who got the oxytocin. And then um, when he went back and tried to quantify how much oxytocin made it across the uh, blood-brain barrier um, from the nasal spray, he found it was none. Zero made it through. So <laughs> it was a statistical noise that his first study had found. And it's like, well, what's the mechanism then? You know, because if you're a whole premise is that your mechanism is that this does this but you don't actually show that that mechanism works exactly so it's like if we're going to say that you know this supplement changes this about the the gut you know biome then how does changing that about the gut biome lead to the outcome of less pain mm -hmm. right we we, yeah. we we didn't we can't really make that step because we don't really understand that mechanism yeah and there was some talk about this uh gut brain connection but it was fairly vague i don't know if there is good evidence around it or oh, if it's i like, often think with my stomach yes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i guess i don't know what how good the evidence is around there was a lot of talk about it but they didn't it wasn't they didn't dive into it or explain it you just gotta yeah trust your gut trust instincts. your gut instincts <laughs> oh it makes me sick um the second half of the presentation uh, more science, but also conflicts of interest. You know, like he, um, I, I, I was more okay with his conflicts because he says like I've written books. You know, like, mm -hmm. and that's fine. If you are a content you expert, be, you, you should, expert, you should yeah. be writing books. Yeah. And he wasn't trying to sell his books. He put them on a slide, the title of his conflict. And I don't think he brought them up other than when he was asked about them. Yeah. The so I was, I was a little bit better. I was a little, I was a little happier about that one. And he had but studies. A and lot more studies and a lot, a lot more also just allowing for nuance. Mm -hmm. um, some of the, uh, the first speaker gave very concrete answers on like, well, how much vitamin C should we should have? A thousand milligrams. I'm like, is that the same for everybody? You know, like, 
is there any amount of variability or is it a thousand? You know, like that's safe for everyone. It was kind of like really saying it was like a hard and fast rule. Whereas, you know, this guy was saying like, hey, you know, like these, you know, Mediterranean diet for some people seems to work really well. Like, some, you know, like maybe a, at least allowing for, you know, the option that maybe it wouldn't be always the best diet. You know, like, yeah. it's just and we I, have I a liked, lot of I liked he kind of went through everything and showed, well, I'd like the slide where it kind of gave all all the options for different cultures of how you could still get all these foods that were good, like vegetables and fruits and these, um, you know, purportedly like anti-inflammatory foods or foods that are good for your gut and that type of stuff and showed like how, you know, across cultures there's options for all of those things uh, versus like, all right, well, you have to eat like, this specific food at this time. Yeah. Uh, I um, good. But if you, uh, you know, again, if I'm if I'm cherry picking, right? Um, Which you are. One little clip, right, is was him saying like, "Hey, I really don't believe in asking patients that are in pain oh. to stop taking, stop eating certain things, eliminating things from their diet because um, so many processed foods are so nutrient scarce." that what we should be doing is just trying to promote them to eat the things that are nutrient dense that are going to be good for them um, rather than trying to take things away. And then fast forward into the presentation a little bit when he's asked about, you know, like migraines, another form of chronic pain in my opinion. Um, he was like, oh, elimination diets. You just want to start taking things away from people until you find the thing that is their trigger. And I was like, well, what about their nutrient density? We were worried about their nutrient density before. Why are we not worried about it if they have a migraine? You know, like yeah. I don't, did they define chronic pain? Was it more like no? She, I think that she talked about the first speaker talked about like fibromyalgia or like the what's you know chronic regional pain. We talked about IBS, which is a functional disease. Yeah, is, uh, I don't. We didn't really. There was not like a musculoskeletal chronic pain type thing, no. right? They, no, I wish. I wish. You know, like they would have had something, you know, like in some cohort, like low back pain, like everybody, yeah. like why isn't there a nutrition and low back pain study? I think, that I, would be, like I think you could, you could do that study. You could sham that study even. Yeah. Um, and have, you know, people eating a yeah. quote unquote. Turmeric and olive oil, you yeah. know, put it on one group. The other group say, hey, you're taking this pill and it's definitely going to make you better. And it's a sugar pill, you know. I'd be down for that. So anybody out there who wants to put that together, go for it. If not... Yeah, if you can put olive oil and turmeric into a pill, you supposedly have solved all inflammation based <laughs> on what I learned in that talk. So figure out how to get suspend turmeric in an olive oil pill that I can just take daily. That and you're supposed to salt all your food. I was actually talking about the positive thing. Like that, that's just... that's we should, we should put a disclaimer. We need to put a disclaimer now. You can't be giving that kind of advice. You're going to kill somebody with heart failure. <laughs> they said, she no, said that. Don't say it again. Putting salt on food lowered hypertension. No. <laughs> she did not give a study oh, citation, wow, but yeah. she said there's yeah, studies no. out there. So it was. It, I yeah, have a yeah. crazy Facebook aunt that says the same thing. <laughs> and she's like, no, my crazy Facebook aunt says, no, it's just. The table salt you get is bad because it's had all the nutrients leached out of it. You have to get pink Himalayan sea salt from her uh, special apothecary, and that's going to be good for you. And she was making recommendations for my cousin who has kidney failure. 
so I don't want to bash this too much more, but the study that was cited in the first part of the lecture yeah. was um, her getting her Facebook group to yeah. eat breakfast for a month. Yeah. And everybody and in the how they felt. and how they felt after they ate breakfast that month and they all had less pain. Is that what that was yeah. uh, like? I mean, that was I knew we were in trouble when that was like the study. And she like called it like a study. Yeah. I mean, like, is it technically no. a study? <laughs> the definition was like, and yeah, so the study showed. And I was like, wait a second. You were telling me you like poll people you in a Facebook group. Yeah. yeah, me doing a poll on my Facebook group is not. And yet, Yeesh. Yeah. So um, there, there's all there. So fair warning for anyone who goes to CSM, you may go to some sessions that cause you to think and learn in you think in, you think and learn there's just sometimes you learn through great examples sometimes you learn through not so great examples. not so great examples so um yeah that's my hot takes for today we went to the uh, diversity and inclusion fiesta celebration viva la fiesta viva la fiesta uh it was great it was it was Food great was good it was so good they had professional dancers there um it made me like man i want to go learn how to like salsa now. Salsa. Flamenco. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was good. And then we're old now. and No. We're making healthy choices. choices. <laughs> we went to the gym. Got a lift in. We're getting to bed a little bit earlier. We're not going out and kissing Corona on the mouth. <laughs> yeah. We're podcasting to you, our loyal <laughs> listener. Three, three, three listeners, three listeners. I'm going to put this in here because my, I don't think my wife has listened to a single podcast. She is in the physical therapy profession. So, Danielle, if you listen to this, I love you. <laughs> um, that's why you left her at home with four kids in the snow. That's <laughs> the least I could do is give her a shout out on this, you know, big platform. Let the whole world know. Yeah. My appreciation for her, mm-hmm. yeah, taking care of four young children in the snow apocalypse in central Indiana. Well, I'm here, obviously, just pardoning it up. <laughs> all right, that's all I've got, Andy. Any last words for our listeners? If you are out there and listening and paying attention to the podcast, please uh, follow us on Twitter at OTF Physio. Um, if you catch us at the conference, you will earn yourself a nice holographic custom sticker. They are nice. Um, very nice. Very sticky. Very shiny. Make sure to put the sticky side down. <laughs> <laughs>